welcome. Legally Brief presents Changing Our Institutions. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer who works with private and public companies, educational institutions, and sports organizations to identify root causes, confront historic failures, and boldly implement change to our institutions. This podcast is for corporate change agents, disruptors, and mindset mavericks who are committed to making our institutions work better for themselves and the next generation. I want to remind you that while I hope you enjoy every episode in the series that we're doing on changing our institutions, the content of this programming is not a substitute for speaking directly with an attorney who understands your unique circumstances. If you're looking for past episodes or information, please head on over to my website. There you'll find information and you can sign up for newsletters and you can learn more about me and my practice. I'm glad you're here. Let's get ready and let's talk and make some changes. There is no way I was going to let this holiday season go by without a gift to you. And that's what this episode is. It's my gift for the season. In this week's episode, you're going to listen to a conversation with change agent, female disruptor, entrepreneur, and former elite gymnast, Erin Levine. Erin Levine has been named the new face of legal tech. During the course of my conversation with you're going to unwrap the most valuable gifts that you'll get when she shares such words of wisdom as how to celebrate small wins, how she provides access to the court systems, and when she tells us that life, her life, and all life is not linear. These are all words from Aaron. Aaron has been identified by the national media as a legal innovator, a CEO whose tech platform demystifies the divorce process. Aaron recently closed a $2 million seed round that goes to furthering, scaling, and growing the divorce startup, Hello Divorce, that she co-founded. But Aaron's success, you will learn, only came after surviving real hardship and turmoil. She was an elite gymnast who was sexually assaulted by a coach. And you'll listen to that portion of our conversation and how she struggled with that and other painful events. But this episode, you're going to truly be inspired. And that's why if you're looking for joy and deep, true holiday cheer this season, you're going to listen to this fearless change agent, Aaron Levine. I'm so happy to share this conversation with you. Happy holidays. I hope you enjoy the season and enjoy this show. All right, Erin, I have hit record and we have started what I know will be an amazing conversation between myself and Erin Levine. And we're going to jump right in. I was just, Erin, I was just saying to you that I find that 
when I know that I'm going to have a guest on that I connect with on so many different levels that when we spend too much time pre-talking before we hit record, we miss all the good stuff. So I have hit record and we're just going to start talking because I really want my listeners to know what it means when I say on this show that I want to highlight change agents, disruptors, and people that I I feel like I've coined this phrase. I don't know if I haven't, I'm taking it. Um, mindset mavericks who are really out there disrupting systems and institutions. So Aaron, tell us briefly, I'm not even going to waste time on a long you know, introduction. Tell us briefly who you are as an attorney, an entrepreneur, and a founder of Hello Divorce. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. I always love chatting with you, but it's especially exciting now that we get to record it and have it here for your listeners. I live in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, in an island called Alameda, which is just between Oakland and San Francisco. I have two amazing daughters who are almost 7 and 10. They have birthdays coming up. And I am also a lawyer. I became a lawyer in 2005. Wow, 2005. And then in 2009, I launched my own law firm, Levine Family Law Group, and we practice family law. And I loved practicing law, but ultimately, I didn't feel like I really was following my passion and my life's work. And so later in 2018, I launched a company called Hello Divorce. And that is where my heart and soul is now. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about it in this podcast. Excellent. When I was thinking about who I wanted to feature in this month of December and Erin, I was mentioning to you also before that when I started this podcast, one of the goals and the objective was to highlight the abuses that are happening in organized sports, especially for athletes and competitive youth athletes that are going through the sports system, the sports industry, and they're getting to these competitive levels, these elite levels. And I started the show to highlight these abuses that were coming up in my practice and what I do in representing competitive youth athletes. And as this show has progressed, as it's grown, I've shifted the spotlight a little bit and started to focus on not just the athletes, but the industries, the systems and the processes. So we know what you do a little bit as an attorney and as a founder of Hello Divorce. And we're definitely going to come back to that. But when we first had, when we first quote unquote met, because we've met virtually and that's what we've been doing since COVID. When we first met, it was through, if you recall, he was my business coach, John Grant, and he was a friend of yours, a business associate, and he connected us. But here's something I don't know if you know, Aaron. I had, I've been a fan of yours way before John. So this is very serendipitous. So prior to... John Grant putting us on an email thread, I had started to look in my practice in criminal defense. So I was doing criminal defense, criminal litigation, and I was really troubled by the problem of not getting 
my clients not getting individuals access to good legal counsel, to seeing all of the abuses within the criminal justice system and just being perplexed about it. I started to really do a deep dive in how can I make the criminal justice system, how can I make access to poor people, African Americans, how can I get that through? How can I disrupt this system? And that's, Aaron, that's really how I found you. I started to think about a more online model, a more agile model. And I came across Hello Divorce. And after I, I must have spent maybe two or three days just reading through your site and learning about you and following you. And I actually, I don't know if I told you this, I actually saved your site onto my home screen because it was such a brilliant model. So I say all that to say that I admire how you've provided this access through Hello Divorce, through the divorce and family law process. But before we're going to come back to that, when I talk about us first meeting, that conversation, Aaron, you reveal something also that we connected on, and that is your journey, your participation as an elite athlete, which is something that, you know, I do also in my legal representation. Can you tell us about that part of your life as an elite athlete? Absolutely. And it's, you know, we, in the same way that you and I share the vision of increasing access to justice and shaping the legal experience for the greater good, all of that inspiration, all of that passion I have actually stems back to my experience as an elite gymnast. And what I mean by that is I grew up as a gymnast training four, six, in some cases, eight hours a day. Gymnastics itself, as you know, and most of your listeners know, is not for the most part a team sport. We see a team sport in the Olympics, but for the most part, these are individuals competing against individuals sort for a few very coveted spots at some of these top competitions. And so it can feel very lonely and overwhelming. There's a huge amount of pressure. And when you are competing at an elite level, your entire life is that sport. It's hard to think about what life might look like without that sport. And so that was my experience. I was a gymnast. It was my entire life. And unfortunately, I also had a very, very abusive gymnastics coach. Now, this is a story that we hear a lot lately. But as you know, it's also a story that occurred and has occurred for generations and a spotlight was put on it even 10, 20, 30 years ago. So it's unfortunate that it's still happening, but it happened to me. I ultimately broke free and went away to college. And during my first quarter, I realized at that point kind of what had happened right? Because I had spent so much of my childhood compartmentalizing my life saying, okay, here's the abuse over here. I'm just going to let it be in this box. I'm not going to let it affect all these other areas of my life. I mean, we know that's not possible, but as a child, that's how I tried to rationalize it so that I could keep this really extreme high level of athleticism going. And I ended up coming back my first quarter of college back to my hometown 
and marching into the police station and turning my coach in. And for that point, the real reason for doing it was simply because I wanted to protect other young women and girls. At that point, I really didn't understand how major the experience was. I didn't have a lot of self-worth. I didn't have a lot of self-knowingness. I hadn't embarked on that self-growth process. So I didn't really do it for me at that point. It was truly to do it for the other girls that I knew were still under him, were still being controlled, and in many cases abused by him. And that started this kind of long process with the courts. I was a witness in the criminal case against him. I was a plaintiff in the civil case. And while I achieved justice in the traditional sense of the word, I was very privileged in that I He got sent to prison, short period of time, but did go, and I did win a civil case. I left the legal system feeling really disempowered, triggered, scared, overwhelmed, and I didn't know what that next step would be. The one thing I did know is that I never wanted anyone to have that same experience within the legal system itself again. And so obviously, that's a very lofty goal, but at least it gave me some focus in terms of what career I wanted to embark on. And I am, I am so glad that you transformed that painful experience. The initial one with the coach that abused you was sent to prison. Thank goodness that that component of the criminal justice system worked. I'm not sure of the actual jail sentence and whether it was, you know, adequate. But I know that I'm glad that you transformed that experience and that you entered this profession. Because when I think about what you've done and what you're doing, I have to tell my listeners, these are some of the descriptions that I pulled off of Aaron's website and how aligned these descriptions are with what I want to achieve on this show. So for example, Aaron, I saw that you say that regardless, this comes off of Hello Divorce, that you've received certifications and accolades, but that you, after years, you became disillusioned. Aaron, that's one thing that my listeners and I talk about all the time when we look at institutions, when we look at systems that are not working for us. Something else you said is that you don't shy away from a challenge and being uncomfortable. When we have, when I have conversations about, be it educational systems, when I have conversations about our corporate America, about the lack of diversity, all of those conversations are centered around those two words that we have to challenge, we have to put back, push back. And then this is one that I love, Aaron. You said that about being an underdog. And that's so many times when I found both from when I highlighted abuses that were happening to elite athletes, gymnasts, swimmers, that they were the underdog. Although being celebrated in the sports industry, like you said yourself, many times you are alone. And, you know, fans are more, we're not even aware of how alone you are. And then there's something else you said in your bio that resonates with the objective of this show. And I want to guide our conversation is that you said as part of Hello Divorce, this company you founded, you wanted it to be convenient, efficient, and not have the expense and the drama ordinarily associated with divorce. That's what's so important to me, Erin, when we talk about 
how do we make institutions work? Right now, I see the majority, If and pull in any institution. Let's pull in just the legal system. Let's pull in the educational system. So many times they are so filled with drama, so opaque, so non-transparent that I feel it is a call for us. It's a call for all of us, but it's a call for anyone that's gone through trauma and anyone that has a bit of clarity to try to seek ways to go ahead and simplify this. Can you tell me, I say all that to say, here's the question before you though, Erin. Do you think that your experience, what you went through as an elite gymnast, what you went through in your early practice, that that positioned you to say, what is going on here? I'm going to make this process of divorcing simple. Do you think that set you up to do that? I do. It sounds like I took a very linear path, but it wasn't so linear. There were a lot of challenges. First of all, just Okay, good. Tell us, tell me about that because I love the truth. Yeah. I get so frustrated sometimes when you hear, for example, you know, I knew when I was 10 years old that I was going to do A, B, or C. So tell us about the nonlinear path, please. Okay. Well, so first of all, there was that workaholic in me, right? Like the only way I felt successful was by my outward achievements. And we know that those outward achievements being your tied to your self-worth, along with being a workaholic, might make us feel alive and excited, but it really is a trauma response. And it really ultimately isn't going to bring joy and the set you up to be able to help in a meaningful way. And so that's one piece. The other big piece was that, you know, I dropped out of college several times. I really struggled with drugs and alcohol. I had a lot of very unhealthy relationships and habits. So after I left high school and immediately turned my coach in, that sort of set me off on several years of self-discovery, but also some really big challenges that I had to sort of face and deal with. And so the other part about it is that as I began practicing law, I really poured myself into the story of our individual clients and became sort of engrossed and meshed with their lives to the point where I wasn't really taking care of me. And so some of those early days around becoming a lawyer ultimately and actually being a lawyer while might have been successful outwardly being helping clients win or achieve their goals, I was really actually quite miserable myself. And that didn't start to shift until I got a therapist and a coach and began really setting boundaries and looking closely at what it is that I wanted and needed in order to reach my goals and, you know, like move forward in a way that made sense for me. Wow. There is so much truth in what you just said right there. And I think that if we're all honest about our desire and our ultimate mission and purpose and purpose, I, that's such a big word. And I don't want to just put it out there and not put some context into it. So when I say purpose, I mean that your purpose can change over time. It's not some big bright light, you know, one thing. But what I mean is that I appreciate that honesty so that listeners can understand if they are in a system that's not working for them, if they're in an institution, 
if they're an athlete or maybe they are part of an institution such as the NCAA and they themselves see that things need to be rectified, that it is super, super important to understand that the path to getting there is not necessarily linear one way that everything changes and evolves. So tell us then, you're practicing, you're, you, you go through, you have the, the stops and the starts with college, you go through law school, you get your degree. Can you tell us then a little bit about those early years of practice? Did you go right into family law? Did you, were you with a firm first? Talk to me a little bit about that. I did. I kind of fell into family law because I had focused most of my law school career on the public interest sector and expected that I would get hired right out of law school into a public interest job. And that didn't happen. I was not from a fancy law school and I didn't have top grades. And those positions actually were quite competitive. And so I didn't get a job in with legal aid or with another public interest institution, which actually turned out to be the best thing ever, because what I really needed was practical experience. I really needed to understand what how the system works and how to lawyer before I could even sit back and help to figure out what's wrong and how do I fix it. That is, you know, I I laugh at that when we talk about, you know, some of the public interest. I think when you're a non-lawyer or you're new even to to the profession, so here's a pro tip for any new lawyers. A lot of times you think that these public interest or nonprofits positions are easy to get. What I found in here, what was my experience is that I remember interviewing just out of law school down on Wall Street with two different nonprofits, only to quickly learn that those nonprofits um, were only looking for, you know, Ivy League credentials. You know, I thought that I was safe because similarly, I went to a state school and had focused on, I focused a little bit on business, but more public interest. I thought that was my quote unquote calling, but Mm -hmm. that's an interesting observation that you had that same experience. So now you're taking us to the story. You find that you, you need the practical experience. So you start in family law and you said it's what, about 10 years or so that you realize that, you know, this is not the way you want to practice. What was it about the way family law or the divorce process that made you kind of hone in? And were you starting to see patterns, frustrations in your clients? Were you yourself frustrated in how, you know, the that model or how the practice among attorneys or, or the uh, bench Yes, absolutely. So those early years were really focused on me becoming a lawyer. I ultimately became a certified family law specialist. I litigated hundreds and hundreds of cases and had a very great top track record. But ultimately, I looked back and when every time one of my clients won, it meant that the other spouse lost. And it also meant that there was more conflict and tension and resentment and anger within that marital relationship, which had to really cause problems with co-parenting and, you know, with these reorganizing families. We want to set them up to be in the best possible position they can. And instead, we were driving them apart farther than they had ever been. And so... 
I started to feel like this complicit participant in a system that routes people through war. I started to do some research and found that the average cost of divorce in this country ranges from $15,000 to $20,000 per person, which means that most people, in 80% of cases, there's at least one person who is self-represented. So they are now navigating the most emotional financially and legally complex time of their lives, largely alone. So we were failing them as a system. And I was seeing that laws and procedure were so localized and were getting more and more complicated, even as consumers started to push back and say, hey, I need some transparency. I need to be able to predict the cost. I need some help dissolving this financial contract in a way that makes sense for both of us. And then at the same time, I also saw how re-triggering and traumatizing the legal process is and was for so many people because we as lawyers tend to view law in a vacuum, right? Because we are so busy and we are so, and the law is so complicated and we want to advocate for our clients' best results. So we're super hyper focused on the law, but there's so many other things happening for a client while they are navigating a legal challenge. And I felt that as a lawyer in a law firm, I really didn't have the opportunity to start exploring the other ways that we might be able to help people in that divorce ecosystem, whether it be credit repair or financial literacy or co-parenting counseling, it trying to find the right insurance plan. There are so many things that come up. And we just aren't able to address those through a traditional billable hour lawyer up and fight type status quo. Okay. So now you're on to something, Erin, because you are describing for me that tension, that juxtaposition that we get into when I say we, I'm including you and me in the world where we see the problem a change agent, a disruptor, you see the problem, you sit down, you've been frustrated, you have that nagging feeling. You said you sat down, you, you did some research, I'm sure it took you know several days or months, and then you have a decision. You can either say, you know what, look, this is too big. The legal system has been going on for centuries before me, and it's going to go on centuries after me. So you got a decision. Either I can continue to go with the current Or like you did, you turned around, you stood up and you started to push against the current. What made you push against the current when you have so many other things? You said you have kids. You said that you had your own business. We have so many other reasons to not push back against the current as disruptors. What made you stand up and push against the wind? Stand up and do that. Well, yes, you are absolutely right. I did a ton of research. I even embarked on a design sprint where I paid an agency to interview hundreds of people along with me who had been through divorce, were considering divorce, or were in the divorce process to get a sense for what was going on with them. And we found that As you can imagine, divorce is expensive, that they were worried about a messy divorce. They were very confused. They wanted more clarity around the law, around what the process would look like, about how much it would cost, and so on and so forth. So I knew that there is this huge 
population that weren't getting served at all. And I wanted to dig in. But the next question is, how do we do it? And I had grown up with a grandfather who said, you know, you help one person, you help the world. And I really believed in that. And that is what I had been doing the first 10 years of my career. But it still didn't feel like enough. And it still didn't feel like it was truly capitalizing on my talents. And so I had to look at it in a couple different angles. One uh, idea was to start working on changing the system itself. And I looked around and there were a lot of people far smarter, far more engaged with far more experience than me who were working on that plight. And while I love and respect them, I saw how much adversity they go through, how many problems, how challenging it is to do that. It just wasn't me. I want to work with people directly as opposed to looking at something like overall from the system. I ultimately, I've sort of navigated into those waters too. But what I really wanted to do is let me see what I can do to help people opt out of the system altogether. And if that's not possible, then what tools and information can we provide people so that they can move through that system as, you know, affordably and efficiently as possible. So goal number one, can we help people opt out? And if so, how? And then goal number two is if they have to use the system to move through the divorce process, what can we do to make it easier, maybe even friendlier, but a whole lot less complicated? Wow, that analysis, that's amazing. We haven't talked about this point before. We have spoken in the past, but I came to that same conclusion when I was looking at how to make, and it it was spawned by a mother called me, a mother, she has uh, three children. She called me, has very, very little income. And her son had been arrested. I had met her previously and there was zero ways that she was going to be able to afford me. I took the case absolutely pro bono. And then it was so troubling to me because what she did is that she called in real time as the police were attempting to enter her uh, government housing home there in New York City. And the only reason why these officers stopped is because she put me on speakerphone and I absolutely said, by no means, you know, I'm an attorney, I'm representing her, are you to enter this home? And I started to spout off everything I can remember as far as, you know, Fourth Amendment source or seizure. And they turned around and left. And that said to me, that first 24, the first 24 hours, if you can have representation regardless, and I'm speaking in, in any civil or criminal, but especially criminal, if you have that representation latch on in the first 24 hours, what an amazing difference. There is no way they would have ever anticipated that this woman, one, would have known an attorney to call at that time of the night, and two, that one would have picked up the phone, identified themselves, and had a cogent and, you know, absolutely, you know, competent conversation about Fourth Amendment and what would happen if they violated her rights. So that got me to thinking, and what you're saying is that how do you help people, one, opt out? In that case, she could not opt out, but then two, how to make it work. So I found that I have to absolutely agree that those two factors are key when you're trying to disrupt this big Goliath system. So tell me something. This is what I've seen because I do. I follow you. I see what you do on 
Pinterest, on, you know, on YouTube, are you finding that social media is the mode, it's the transportation, it's the tool that you can use to make these systems work for clients? I definitely don't think I'm the most talented at social media. However, I have certainly used social media, especially Instagram, to connect with consumers and partners and people who can help us increase access. And it also has allowed me to understand the potential consumer better, what their issues are, where they're struggling, how we can help, that kind of thing. I also think, you know, just going back a moment to that that piece around, you know, you focusing on that first 24, which is so key. I think many of us want to fix or provide a solution to the whole. And while there's always work to be done, the more niche that we can get, the more, the clearer that we can be on what it is we provide and how we provide it, the more people we are going to see succeed and feel positive about their experience with us or the system. And that's really challenging because if you're anything like me, you want to do a million things and you want them done yesterday. (laughs) Absolutely. So I get it and I commend you for that. But back to social media. Yeah, social media. I mean, the first couple of years, we had absolutely no marketing budget. And we really wanted to be able to target the people who could use our services or even the free information and worksheets and downloads that we provide. And so that was an incredible tool. And it was less about traditional marketing and more about providing information that is accessible and that people connected with. And I throw out that point, I threw that into the mix kind of the whole, you know, question about social media, because what I've found is that anyone in this era, and I think it's heightened when we were forced to not socialize in person because of the pandemic, I think that anyone that's thinking they're going to change something, they are seeing patterns and abuses that I think that the tool of social media can be used brilliantly to say, hey, look, here is another way to do this. Educate yourself. Here's another path. So that's what I see that you're doing brilliantly through Hello Divorce. I mean, I watched a couple of your YouTube videos and they're so illustrative. They so turn the process of divorce that is, you were saying, is emotionally charged one to begin with. So first you have that emotion, you have the drama behind it. If you have kids or if you have, you know, assets, and then you're absolutely confused. Maybe you don't even know an attorney. And when you think about divorce, it's dark, it's lonely. There's so many um, expectations, you so many disappointments. And then a person happens upon Hello Divorce. The site is cheerful. The colors, and, and I want you to tell us, the colors feel intentional. The animated figures that you have on there. It really just said to me, when I land on that site, it says, okay, this can be done. And we're going to show you how was that, was it intentional how you picked that out and how you thought about disrupting this traditional dark system that doesn't provide a lot of information? Very intentional. So again, it's looking far outside the law. What happened or what has not happened within our cultural 
culture to influence the system and how we do divorce in this country. And I looked around and saw that for most life events, having a baby, getting married, even a death, right? We have funerals. We come together as a community. And yet with divorce, it's a very isolating, in some cases, alienating experience. And so the goal here was to change the conversation around divorce, to replace stigma and replace overwhelm with peace of mind, with a feeling of community, with education, with self-empowerment, to say, you are not bad. You have not failed. You are actually taking a very brave step in your journey And now it's about reorganizing your life in a way that makes the most sense for you without taking the other person down. So the system sets us up to fail. It sets us up X versus Y. You are being served with a lawsuit. Um, It capitalizes, unfortunately, whether um, intentionally or not, on our fear. And then lawyers, knowing that Every, all the problems that could potentially happen, they might not realize this, especially well-intentioned lawyers, but they're actually writing content and using colors that perpetuate that fear. If you don't hire me, X is going to happen. And that X happen, happening is very, very rare. It's very rare. And we can control for that with education. And so the goal here was to say, look, at you have a lot more control in this process than you think you do, unless there is an emergency like violence or a parent taking a child or liquidating all of your financial accounts, which we see a lot in the media, but actually doesn't happen as often as you think. This is going to go on your own timeline. You can move it forward as quickly or not as you want, and you can think through your decisions. And to the extent that you don't understand what some of the information or factors or documents are that contribute to those decisions, we can slow down and help you with that. And so everything from the name down to the colors and the illustrations, which we're actually redesigning, but still keeping those same sentiment, because it is really important to not make light of such a serious, big change in someone's life, but to remind people that that they have hope. And that overwhelm often leads to fear and fear is and can be very, very toxic. So let's see what we can do to replace that fear with peace of mind. So Aaron, I have as part of the show, I have been advancing and talking about a method that I've come up. And this method relates to individuals that are saying they are going to change whatever system they're in, whatever. And it could be, it could be something as small as your family system. It could be, you know, years of trauma that you don't want to repeat. How do you do that? So I've come up with, you know, active and each letter stands for something, but I want to hone in on something that you just said. One is inactive is, you know, being that victim, changing from the mindset, because so many times it is the system that tells you you're the victim, makes you the victim. And then like you were saying, capitalizes on that with the fear and then the biggie with the shame. It blames you, it shames you, and you live for so long under that cloud of shame that you don't even realize for years, for decades that, hey, wait a minute, this never had anything to do with me. This shame that I'm feeling, it was the way that the system, the process, the institution was set up. 
So I love that you were intentional on shifting and even not only in the words that you wrote, the content, but even the colors you thought about how you can take something so sad, so filled with shame, you're getting a divorce, you've failed and how you've turned that around. I love, love, love that you did that because I want for anyone out there that's thinking about how can they not be, like you said before, complacent? How can they really be inspired to change whatever it is, whatever the institution is? And just like you, you thought about the colors and how to make people move from feeling so horrible about something. I want to, and I know we're, I mean, I knew that this conversation would be so easy. We're already running up to, you know, 39 minutes. And I know that you are three hours behind me, so I'm not going to take your whole morning, but I want to talk a little bit about, I saw on one of the legal websites, My Shingle. And I, if I recall correctly, My Shingle was also started by a female attorney and she provides so much information, but she highlighted Hello Divorce and in a recent blog post. And she also highlighted Hello Prenup. I don't know, have you ever heard of the, of the legal website called Hello Prenup? I have. I had not heard of it until I started to receive emails and phone calls after Hello Prenup was on Shark Tank. Okay. Okay. And we are not in any way connected with Hello Prenup. It is a separate business that is not related to Hello Divorce. Okay. Totally separate, not affiliated in any way. And I only bring it up because I saw that. I only bring it up to to make this point and to ask you this question as to what is your feeling, good, bad, indifferent to what seems to be the trend? Do you have any opinion about the trend of seeing entrepreneurs, new legal innovators like yourself? Do you think that this is the path that law is going to go toward a more tech focused, accessible, not so when you think about law, you know, think back to, you know, your Perry Masons and then even your John Gresham novels where the typical law firm, I mean, what, what are some of the word buzzwords, the white shoe law firms or white stock, silk stockings and, you know, the leather furniture and the libraries dedicated, you know, people sitting around, you know, the, the lamps versus hello fresh it is in my opinion it is here's information this is not a scary process you can do this we will help do you think that's where the law is going and i'm crossing my fingers to hope that you say yes i definitely think so i think we are going to see more and more of a productization of legal i think in the business to consumer space especially we lack a lot of innovation and I love seeing new entrepreneurs, especially who are lawyers, because no one understands that consumer more than a lawyer, design and build technology that assists customers. We are still in very much of a difficult time in that most regulations, so most states do not allow law firms to offer ownership to non-lawyers. 
And they don't allow corporations like Hello Divorce to directly offer legal advice. So in our case, we partner with my law firm. That's how we're able to offer legal advice. But for the most part, corporations that have legal products or provide education or a service to consumers are not able to provide legal advice directly. So it makes legal innovation exceedingly challenging. And that's one area that I'm really, really working on. I just spoke to the state bar last week about our model and what we could do if there was a regulatory sandbox and how it would impact consumers and provide greater access to justice, give lawyers more of an opportunity to pursue their passions, make it easier for regulators to regulate, and then of course be so much better for consumers. Because the more we can bring technology together with services, the more we can bring down the cost, but still give lawyers opportunity to earn a reasonable living. Last two questions, because this is a perfect segue. If you're going to disrupt a system that you believe is not working properly, maybe because the system was never even created for you, never contemplating you accessing it, you're going to face obstacles. So it sounds like, you know, with the regulation of the law, the different rules that we have to follow, everything from advertising to solicitation, it can be obstacles. What would you say is one, if you have one or even two obstacles that you found on your path to creating, launching and building Hello Divorce? Any really big obstacles that took that, you know, kind of maybe even cause you to sit down and contemplate what's going on here? Yeah, I think it was, you know, the challenge of law firms not being able to be owned by non-lawyers and not being able to attract talent with the promise of equity within a law firm was a huge obstacle. And ultimately, what I decided to do is take Hello Divorce completely out of the law firm and into its own corporation. But that itself has its own challenges as well. So one example is we have some of the most talented paralegals and lawyers in the country working for Hello Divorce, but they cannot use their unique knowledge of the law to advise consumers. That They can review paperwork for omissions and typos and factual inconsistencies, but Hello Divorce itself can't practice law or provide legal advice and legal help directly. I mean, that is very, very challenging. And we have found a workaround, but not without spending, you know, months and months and months doing research and consulting with ethics attorneys and ultimately finding a path that we feel is ethical and can work within the regulatory scheme. But there is always a solution. And now there's more and more companies like ours that have really started to put these new entities or these solutions in place. And so I encourage people, if they are working on a similar problem, to reach out to other people who are doing the same. Because you might be surprised how open innovators are to sharing what they've learned and to working together. And that's exactly what a lot of us are doing right now. I love, love, love that. Because that's... Also, as part of the active method that... I promote and talk about in shows is the community, the need to have community. If you're going to change something big, even something small, it can be something small within yourself, but if you're going to seek to highlight 
tears and breakdown in the system, you need a community of other individuals. And it saves time. You're not always reinventing the wheel. You told me about a huge obstacle that you're finding a solution for. When we spoke previously in the past, here's one thing that resonated with me. And I think it was just uh, the, the stage that I was in in my life. I was you know, thinking about starting the podcast, I was transitioning. And you said to me, if I remember correctly, Aaron, you were preparing for a conference, maybe it was the Clio conference or something. And you said to me something so impactful. You said, Judy, you have to celebrate the small wins. And that seems obvious, but I have to say that I can relate when you say, you know, tendencies to be a workaholic that may cover or have spoken to trauma, I tend to be a workaholic. And when you said to me, celebrate the small wins, it almost sounded like, what, what are you talking about? You know, who has time to celebrate when there's 10, 20 other things on my to-do list? Erin, tell us what's a small win that you've celebrated recently. Yeah. Oh gosh. You know, that's so important to me. Those small wins really add up. And so one thing that I do with my team periodically, because anyone knows, you know, building a startup or challenging the status quo is hard, hard work. And it is thankless for a very long time until it's not, if you're lucky. And so one thing that we do regularly with the team, and they groan every time when I first start because they just want to get into the important stuff. But what I do is I sit back and I say, all right, let's talk about some of the successes that we've had over, you know, this past week, this past month, this past quarter. For us, a few of the small wins, I would say over the last quarter, one was the decision on who we would hire as a chief product officer. That was a very, very challenging decision to make. We did a ton of research, a lot of interviewing, and ultimately made the decision on who to hire. We also made the decision on where we would build out our next e-commerce solution. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but was really huge for us. We did a major analysis on different revenue models and made a decision on which direction we would go, which by the way, was to stay exactly where we are in the moment. And then in July of 2021, we raised our first investment round. So a round of investment, we raised $2 million, which was incredibly exciting. Wow. That is awesome. That's great. That is so, congratulations to that. That is so huge. That inspires me. It inspires me. And you know, what you just said, challenging the status quo, that really, I think that's where we can end on this. Is there anything else though, that you can think if you're talking to listeners that are need to be inspired to continue challenging the status quo in whatever their position that they're in. I love, though, that you remind us to celebrate the small wins because, you know, what I find in whether I'm working on an employment case or I'm getting ready to conduct internal investigation on behalf of a private or public corporation, you're doing these things and you do have the tendency to be discouraged, to be apathetic. You know, so I love that you tell us to celebrate these wins. Anything along the lines of how to avoid apathy, how to avoid just giving up and saying, this is too big. I can't fight Goliath anymore, so to speak. Well, if it feels that way, then it might mean 
mean that you need to change your focus, right? Like your passion's still there. It's still going to be your calling. Your instinct is still telling you that this is the good fight, the fight that you need to be a part of. But maybe we need to refocus where your energy is. Maybe it's not so big. Maybe you're going to focus on one smaller thing. Because again, those smaller wins are super inspiring. And more importantly, they add up. They really do. One be- once a day you look back and you're like, wow, all of those little small changes made a huge impact. So what I like to do each week, sometimes each day, is have a personal, professional, and family goal. It could be as simple as I need to renew passports this week, or it can be I'm going to figure out a time when my entire family is available so that I can plan a trip for a couple days. And the professional goal might be to reach out to somebody on your team or a vendor or a contractor that you haven't connected with lately to see what's going on in their lives and whether or not you're helping them meet their own personal or professional goals. But I like to sort of break it up into three buckets. And if there's anything that I accomplish in that day, week or month, it will be at least those three things. Because there's so much happening and so much noise. And so it's just like easy to get lost in all of that. I love that. That's perfect. I'm going to remind my listeners about that. The buckets, the goals, the small wins. Erin, you exceeded. I knew that we would have a good conversation. Mm, Thank you. But I, and you know, I really believe that you will inspire other people, whether you're in the legal field, whether you're an attorney, whether you're starting out, even if, you know, if we have a mom or dad or a caregiver listening to this and they want to change the way they're functioning within their own home. Also, I love that you've spoken to prior iterations of this show from being an elite athlete, yourself, a gymnast who stood up, stood out against abuse and healed from that and transformed it. And now look, we have someone who is changing, has changed the way that we look at the entire institution of divorce and family law. So thank you for doing that, really. Thank you for being so brave and so bold. And thank you for spending this time with me and with my listeners. I really appreciate it. Listeners know where to go, Hello Divorce. Any any other handles that are not as obvious? Are you Hello Divorce on Instagram and also Pinterest? Yep. And Twitter. Um, and then you can also find me on LinkedIn, Erin Levine. But yes, like an Erin, E-R-I-N at hellodivorce.com. Excellent. And it's just an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. You need to have your own show as well. <laughs> Not just podcast, but like I see you on network television or Netflix with your own series, girl. So don't forget me because <laughs> I, I want to come back around. I definitely will not. Thank you again, Erin. Thank you so much. You be well. You too. All information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.